Welcome. The following presentation from Answers in CME is part of an educational activity titled Optimizing Outcomes in Advanced Melanoma Through Enhanced Collaboration, a Real-World Multidisciplinary Approach. To access the full program and supporting materials, please visit the activity URL in the episode description. This activity is supported through an educational grant from Bristol-Myers Squibb. Hello, my name is Hussein Taubi, and I'm professor and deputy chair of the Department of Melanoma Medical Oncology and co-director of the Brain Metastases Clinic at MD Anderson Cancer Center in Houston, Texas. And joining me today is my good friend and colleague, Dr. Laura Ferris, professor of dermatology at the University of Pittsburgh in Pennsylvania. Today, we're going to be looking at optimizing patient outcomes in advanced melanoma. Let's start by discussing real-world patient-specific factors in advanced melanoma and how these patients may still represent an unmet need. As you know, our practice in oncology is entirely based on results from randomized phase three clinical trials. However, real-world patients could represent a different population than what we see in phase three clinical trials. Dr. Ferris, how do these features impact treatment decisions and potential outcomes? So in general, we have a pretty standardized population in clinical trials. These are generally patients with good performance status. They may have been pre-screened not to have some comorbid conditions, but of course, this isn't going to be our real world population. For example, some of our melanoma patients will have other forms of cancer or maybe other cutaneous malignancies. We also know that we may want a very untreated or a very specifically pre-treated population for a clinical trial. But once these drugs are available to us in the real world, there may be a little deviation from those criteria in terms of the patients that we choose to treat. Well, those are definitely very important issues. And I do have to say that when we try to make treatment decisions for our patients, generally speaking, we focus on the efficacy. On the other hand, the question becomes how much toxicity can those patients tolerate? Dr. Ferris, so do you think there is an opportunity to better serve our patients in advanced melanoma? So one of the first things that we realized is that the combination of nivolumab and ibilimumab really gave superior efficacy to nivolumab alone. However, this came at the cost of toxicity. So I think one of our great opportunities is to find ways to harness that better efficacy with combination therapy while reducing the adverse event profile. Thank you, Dr. Ferris. In the next session, we'll review the guideline-recommended first-line immunotherapy options for advanced melanoma. So this is an overview of the NCCN guidelines recommended first-line therapy for patients with metastatic melanoma. So while we have all these treatment options in the first-line settings, in my clinic, I have to use some of the available clinical trial data that has emerged in the last couple of years, specifically even for BRAF-mutated patients. Now that we have DreamSeq data, I still would err on choosing immunotherapy combinations over 
targeted therapy, given those data, clearly that's not always 100%. And there are situations where targeted therapy may be more appropriate that I will take into account. But generally, we start with immunotherapy-based combinations. And based on the recent data from Relativity 047, I very rarely use single-agent PD-1. It's really a discussion between PD-1-like 3 versus PD-1-CTLA-4 in the first-line setting. So with the use of immunotherapy, either as combination PD-1-CTLA-4 or PD-1-LAG-3, or with the use of targeted therapy, it is quite common to observe adverse events that are skin-related. And commonly, while I choose for my patients what I think will give them the highest efficacy, I tend to engage our dermatologists as early as possible at the first sign of skin toxicity. The interaction with dermatologists that helps us manage skin toxicity are critical to be able to continue the patients on treatment. So Dr. Ferris, is that consistent with how you approach things in your practice as well? In my institution, our approach to managing patients with advanced melanoma is to present them at our melanoma tumor board. So this really lets us look at the patient as a whole and look at their disease, review their pathology, look at their comorbid conditions, and also think about the patient as a human being with sometimes real-world challenges. This is a discussion between medical oncology, surgical oncology, dermatology, often involves review of radiology and pathology for that patient as well. As the dermatologist, I'm often the person who knows the patient best when they begin their journey with advanced melanoma. So I feel that we have important contributions in helping to understand a particular patient and what challenges there may be in their treatment. We're also going to be playing an important role in their their ongoing monitoring, both for that melanoma and for future skin cancers. Thank you, Dr. Ferris. In the next session, we'll look at the efficacy of novel combination strategies targeting the LAG3 and PD-1 pathways. Let's take a closer look at the efficacy data for approved and emerging anti-LAG3 antibodies in combination with anti-PD-1 therapy. Relativity 047 was a study that was designed to show a difference in progression-free survival between the combination of nivolumab and relatlimab and nivolumab alone, and it was quite positive. The median PFS for the combination was double that of the single agent. The hazard ratio was 0.78. That translated into a response rate of 43% versus 32%. And while the study was not powered for overall survival, it still showed a 20% decrease in the risk of progression or death, albeit that was not statistically significant. It should be worth noting that Checkmate 067, which compared PD-1 CTLA-4 to single-agent PD-1, was actually never powered to show a difference between the two. And indeed, the progression-free survival difference was not statistically significant in that study, nor was the overall survival difference. And so if you look at the combination of Nivorella versus Epinevo, the PFS is very comparable. Dr. Ferris, why don't you talk us through the latest efficacy data for the Fianlimab plus Semiplimab combination? While we only have a single-arm study combining fanlimab and semiplimab in this study, it does really kind of reinforce the same proof of concept of the high efficacy that we can see with combination therapy. 
So in a PD-1 naive patient population, the objective response rate was almost 64% and the median duration of response was not reached. The estimated progression-free survival with this combination of fanlimab and semiflimab was 24 months. This was studied in both a PD-1 naive and a PD-1 experienced patient population. So I think that that gives us important data. It was really exciting to see the results of fianlimab plus semiplimab. From my perspective, it confirms the fact that lag-3 targeting is a very viable therapeutic strategy. It did look very similar in the PD-1 refractory setting, and the results are quite impressive in the first-line setting. Of course, this is a non-randomized dose escalation study, so it'll be really great to see whether those results are maintained in randomized settings. In the next session, we'll take a closer look at the safety profiles of novel combination strategies targeting the LAG3 and PD-1 pathways. So let's review the safety data and see what's important to know about the toxicities of anti-LAG3 and anti-PD-1 combination therapies. It was remarkable to see in the phase 3 study that the grade 3-4 toxicity for relatlimab and nivolumab was 21.1%, which is kind of consistent with what we had known about single-agent PD-1, but the single-agent PD-1 arm only had an 11% toxicity. Of course, with the higher incidence of toxicity with nivolumab and relatlimab, we also have a higher incidence of discontinuation of treatment secondary to toxicity, and that's consistent with what we see with the immune-mediated toxicities in general. However, when you compare back to the toxicity of epilimab and nivolumab, we see that the combination of nivolumab and relatlimab has almost a third of the toxicity of epilimab and nivolumab. The profile of toxicity with relatlimab and nivolumab is very similar to single-agent nevo. We see one toxicity at a time. We see it happening about the same time as nivolumab. That's different than ipilimab and nivolumab, where you see sometimes two and three grade three, four toxicities happening within days or weeks of each other and relatively early on in treatment as well. Dr. Ferris, would you like to walk us through the safety data from the fianlimab plus semiplimab trial that were recently reported? So when we look at the higher grade treatment emergent adverse events, we can see that they're fairly similar in the PD-1 experience group versus the PD-1 naive group and patients who were treated with fianlimab plus semiplimab. Given the relatively small size of the study, it is really hard to compare safety to relativity, obviously. Also thinking about how we monitor and counsel them. As a dermatologist, one of the most important roles that we play in helping to take care of these patients are managing their cutaneous toxicities. I think the most important factor for us is to educate patients about what to expect and when to communicate with us. Maybe the slightly more consistent thing I do with nivolumab and relatlimab is being careful about checking for adrenal insufficiency and for hypothyroidism. Those do happen more frequently and so when patients experience fatigue, I'm more likely to check a random cortisol level. In the next session, we'll explore real-world strategies to optimize care for patients with advanced melanoma.
In this final session, let's review the real-world factors that may impact treatment selection for patients with advanced melanoma. To date, I don't think there is a specific biomarker that can tell us which patients are more likely to benefit from anti-like 3 and PD-1 combinations. It was interesting to see that in the Fianlimab study, it seems that LAG3 positivity was associated with a higher response rates. However, it's really unclear whether this will be panning out in randomized clinical trial settings. Can I ask you, Dr. Ferris, what advice can you give our audience about having a multidisciplinary team approach for combination therapy? The multidisciplinary team is really important. We know that skin is actually one of the most common organs in which patients will experience their immune-related adverse events. And so having a team to call when this occurs to make sure that one, there aren't interruptions in therapy, two, that patients don't choose to discontinue therapy due to these adverse events, and three, to be able to distinguish between what is a serious immune-related adverse event in which we need to consider stopping or pausing therapy versus what is something that we can treat through. Dr. Tabby, what do you consider when choosing between mono or combination immunotherapy in patients? So in my clinic, if I really need a very quick response in a patient, and if the patient has, say, brain metastases, for which we don't currently have any data for the LAG3PD1 antibodies, those are situations where I'm going to reach out to my ipilimumab and nivolumab, knowing that this will come at the risk of higher toxicity. However, in almost all other settings, if the patient is more likely to experience toxicity or have increased comorbidities, I will choose the combination that has the lower risk of toxicity like LAG3PD1. Of course, there are some situations where I chose single-agent PD-1, but those are becoming fewer and farther between. And maybe in patients that are experiencing or have history of autoimmune disorders, I recently had a patient who was being treated actively for another cancer at the same time. So for those patients where there is very low tolerance for toxicity, I may go for single agent. So in summary for our program, we have discussed real-world patient-specific factors for patients with advanced melanoma, guideline recommendations for first-line immunotherapy options, efficacy, and safety data for combination strategies targeting the LAG3 and PD-1 pathway, patient and drug-based factors that may impact treatment selection for our patients. Thank you so much, Dr. Ferris, and thank you to our audience for your attention. Thank you for listening. Please visit the activity URL in the episode description to view all program materials, complete the post-test, and get a certificate.